Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Well, Tyler, Thanksgiving has come and gone. It has. I've come, you know, I wanted to, I went down to Mexico, my wife and I. That's right, Peter. You went on a cool little excursion down south of the border. Yeah. Cool your heels down in Mexico a little bit. Uh, enjoy the fine weather of the tropics, the, uh, yeah. the tropical flavors, the sunshine, the snorkeling. <laughs> and uh, the I'm excited to hear all about it. I, I'm excited to hear all about it and learn about this amazing shoreline down in Cancun. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you, the thing that struck me the most, getting out of the United States for a few days and getting the first trip for me down to Cancun area, the Maya Riviera, it's called. This is the area between Cancun and Tulum on the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Uh, One of the most uh, busy tourist beaches in the world now in the top five beaches in the world this stretch of shoreline about 80 miles long from cancun extending south down the yucatan peninsula so i had never been an internationally known beach now peter i'm super excited to get into it uh yeah you've got some amazing field notes from your trip that we're excited to show but first let's have a quick word from our sponsor Indeed. And uh, these days on Coastal News Today in the American Shoreline Podcast Network, we are so pleased to be supported by Coastal Transplants out of North Carolina and their leader and owner of that fine company, Steve Mercer. And Steve and his team at Coastal Transplants uh, restore dune systems all along the, from really from Brownsville, the Texas-Mexico right. border, all the way along the eastern seaboard. They're in the middle of a whole bunch of post-Hurricane Florence dune restoration on the North Carolina shoreline right now, but they do a fantastic job. So if your homeowners association or your city or your county is in need of large-scale beach restoration and, well, dune restoration services to go with your beach project, uh, Steve Mercer at Coastal Transplants is the guy to call uh we've known him for a long time and he is super solid very good guy honest till the day is long as they say and just a really good good company absolutely and it's uh coastaltransplants.com to learn more about him that's right look him up call steve he'll get you he'll get you going get your dunes in good shape um, All right, Peter. Well, so you've returned from your trip. You've had a little bit of time now to uh, digest the meals and digest your thoughts on this trip. So tell us about first. Let's start at the very beginning. Yeah. How did you decide to go down to uh, this stretch of shoreline for the holiday? Well, it was it, my wife primarily. Uh, you know, we've been going to Barton Springs, a great pool all summer long. Been doing a ton of snorkeling at Barton Springs. And uh, we wanted to get in the salt water. We wanted to get out of the United States for a few days. The kids were with their grandparents and Genevieve's family was engaged and everybody had things to do over Thanksgiving. So we had actually a free Thanksgiving to uh, to enjoy. So uh, I think to sn- we, we heard the snorkeling is good and the shoreline is great. So I think that was the principal 
motivator. And and let's just talk quickly about the logistics of the trip. You flew directly from Austin, is that right? Well, we went we went Austin, Mexico City. Okay. And then Mexico City, Cancun. There are Austin, Cancun flights, but yeah. By the time we got around to well, doing I it, was, they were they were bucked. So. I might be skipping ahead, but I was shocked to learn that the Cancun International Airport is the busiest airport in Mexico. It's the most it's the it's the busiest international airport in Mexico. 45% of the international flights in the country of Mexico come into Cancun. And it has to do with this this incredibly banging shoreline when it comes to tourism. Um, they've marketed it as the Maya Riviera uh, or Riviera Maya and that is a fairly recent thing about 2010 or 2011 they they tagged it this way and it's in the state of quintana roo is the state in mexico that the that is this shoreline and it really is cancun it's the yucatan peninsula all the way down to uh to belize uh and the the area most intensely used is really between between cancun playa del carmen all the way down to to uh, Tulum, and we didn't get down all the way to Tulum. We got we were in the Playa del Carmen area. So you fly into Cancun. Uh, Mexico City Airport was interesting. I wish we could have hung out. In, you know, Mexico City is an amazing city. Twenty million people, largest city in North America. It is, and and it's you know it just uh, you know the architecture of that city. I mean, we have high altitude joint too. Yeah, I think it's seven thousand. Yeah, it's, it puts Denver to shame. <laughs> You know, I haven't spent any time in Mexico City, but love to. I mean, we 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 speak ill of Mexico a lot in the country these days and our politics. And well, some people do. If some folks, people folks do. my age find Mexico to be pretty hot right now. It is traveling, it, vacationing in Mexico City is very trendy. It is with the, with the younger people. Is that right? Yeah, very. Yeah, very well, trendy. it's 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 worthy of it. Um, totally. We had it. So we we get to Cancun. We get down to Playa del Carmen, and and the style of development along the shoreline is kind of interesting. We ended up renting a boat uh a couple of guys 70 horsepower yamaha about it it's like a little fishing boat kind of thing and uh maybe 20 30 feet long or less and just went down the shoreline probably about three or four miles uh from where we were staying and kind of got a view of the shoreline from the sea where you could see what the style of development was but basically this shoreline is known for these all-inclusive massive resorts well, hold on a second. Before we get into the resorts, yeah. to talk about just what the flora and fauna of the place would be naturally without any development on it. There, you know, it's it's tropical jungle, uh, and so the the shoreline is a. It's not the jungle canopy is not terribly high. You know, these aren't sort of the rainforest right. of Brazil, sort of. Uh, although it's probably certainly has been logged probably in the last hundred years but this whole shoreline has probably been logged but it, it's 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 a dense forest canopy a lot of mangroves uh, this is the area uh, where the the geology of the area is a lot of limestone caves and this is where all the cenotes yeah. or cenotes depending on how you pronounce it but the these are the collapsed caverns that were hollowed out by the underground river systems that run all through here this was the area of course it's it's speculated or or the scientific community believes this is where the asteroid that took out the dinosaurs hit the earth wow was on the yucatan peninsula so the geography and the geology of this region is really kind of unique i think that's a factor but it's this this uh 
this cenote system and these underground rivers that really feed this vegetation. Uh, so it's a really, it's a naturally uh, very densely forested uh, area. And there's monkeys still in the trees in the areas that we were in. Uh, spider monkeys, there are kawati, there are raccoons, there's lots of critters running around. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you got into the airport into Cancun, yeah, uh, which is where you flew into, we did. We okay. had to fly into Can- Mexico. So, City, what was Cancun. the, I mean, do you, is it just evident from the, do you feel like you're coming into a highly polished tourism zone immediately? Uh, is it kind of clear based on the the fit yeah. and finish in the airport, yeah, the, the, the air- way that the transportation everything works, that you're yeah. kind of coming into a zone that has been yeah uh, industrially modeled for tourism? It's it, the the Cancun airport is beautiful. I mean, it is it's beautifully built. It's incredibly well appointed. Um, the you know they always have the. Uh, uh, the area of shopping, you know, once you get inside an international gate where there's no taxes, a duty-free shop. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean the duty-free shops in the Cancun airport were selling handbags for $1,000. I mean, it was very high-end, and, that and you know, the products, and that's kind of typical, but it was, it was a brand spanking new airport. The road system was really, you know, clearly had been upgraded. They're putting a bunch of money into it. Uh, you know that just reading about the area uh, in the Cancun a- airport, uh, you know, ten million visitors a quarter is about wow. what are people coming into this. It's massive. Uh, Mexico is now the sixth most visited country for tourism in the world. Uh, these beaches along this shoreline are considered some of the best in the world. I think historically. And I mean this a little bit like in more recent times, I think it's starting to change, but uh, have been known to be pristine and fantastic. Totally. And I'm just going to interject a quick story here that I've told you uh, when you first got back. But I remember in college, uh, my roommate, uh, who was half Mexican, who is half Mexican, shout out to... Moctezuma Perez Casillas, my old college roommate, but right. his grandfather, who who lived in Washington D.C., uh, I went over to their place for dinner. He invited me. It was it was a lovely little family thing, and uh, I asked him. He he found out I was from California. He was interested in the beaches out there, and I asked him what his favorite beaches were, and he described this is my first like adult encounter with the notion of the Yucatan and Cancun. Yeah. And the way he described the beach has stuck, has been burned in my mind ever since then. And it was, well, he just said it was the best. He described white sand coming Mm -hmm. out of just a perfect little jungle, you know, palm little thing. Very delicate. And it just sounded idyllic. It sounded like a secret beach that you might cook up in your mind's eye yeah. of a, a you know deserted island or something like yeah palms coconut pal- yeah that the, the foliage in this really bright brilliant coral sand uh and it's true there were segments of that along the area that we were staying in and uh but the water quality was not that great. Um, yeah. The nearshore water, for example, did some snorkeling off of the beach. You couldn't see two feet. You, like you, you couldn't extend your hand and see your fingers. That's how cloudy the water was. And it, the waves had been a little, the wave energy was a little bit high. So there was some stirring up of it. But 
a couple of days later, it had calmed down. The water had been quiet. Still, the clarity in the near shore waters wasn't any good. But if you got out and when we got on the boat and you get away from the shoreline, uh, yeah, you're in this brilliant azure blue Caribbean sea. It's freaking beautiful. That what's happening in the near shore water, and I interviewed a couple of, of the boat captain guys and talked to some folks down there, is that, you know, they've had this sargasm explosion happening in the Caribbean and levels of, of sargasm seaweed, floating seaweed coming ashore all along this area. Uh, and it's decomposing. There wasn't a lot of it on the beach. This, they weren't having a fallout. You know, uh, of we've seen pictures, we've run pictures on Coast News today of feet. Yeah, it looks like it's like they got a blizzard of yeah, yeah. of sargasm. It will, you know, it can blanket the coast. Going to be two or three feet deep. Tons and tons of it that have to be. They're, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on the shoreline trying to keep the beaches uh, clear of the seaweed. There are offshore buoy systems all along the shoreline. So when we went on the boat ride, we were outside the buoy system, but all of these buoys running down these resorts, uh, are designed to try to trap the seaweed before it gets to the beach. So they holding up a net. Yeah. You know, I wanted to get over next to the thing, have the guy stop the boat, put in my snorkel stuff and jump in and check it out. He didn't want to get close to it the hotel people i guess they're a little testy about stuff like that uh so i couldn't tell what was the subsurface it looked like oil spill containment buoys a, a burn you know mm-hmm. a, yeah the oil spill containment uh, berm system right and uh, almost like a swim lane yeah a little bigger stretch oh, okay a little, a little bigger little heftier uh-huh. and then inside that barrier toward the beach in a couple of places they had special floating boats that collected seaweed out of the water huh so they were like farm equipment they had a roller thing on the front of it and they were parked and so they are spending a boatload of money to try to keep this stuff off the shore and it's a really complicated environmental problem for them and it's in it's huge economically when we were talking to uh, the guy who who we rented the boat with, and he said, "Look, over the summer we had so much sargasm, we left. We couldn't work. There was nobody here. We we left for a couple of weeks and went inland. So it really wiped these resorts kind of out. They, not having the yeah, you know, the pristine. Because when you think of the beach, you don't think of it obviously as being this kind of organic. Uh, no, not these beaches. Yeah. You know, and the, do, does the stuff smell? I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it comes on the Texas coast. We'll see it in yeah, Galveston. We, do. we see it down in South Padre. And when you get a big layer of it, it decomposes in the sun, and it's kind of smelly. And there's lots of critters in it, so it's kind of yes. Dinky. And uh, but what happened here is there were there were a lot of dead stuff in the water. So and it had broken down into these, you know, into these very small pieces that were clouding the water. I mean, there was there was a, a layer of this stuff in the water. And so it still affected the shoreline, even though it wasn't present in in large quantities on the beach. Um and you could smell it in the water too. I mean it it had a visible effect. And I, I this is such an important issue. The, the, the Mexican government now is using the, the, the uh, military ships to try to figure out and to capture and ca- collect this stuff. And it's, it's a tough environmental issue because it's, it's, in, it's habitat, really. I mean, there's a lot of animals and critters and fish and shrimp and nudibranchs and all sorts of things. The sargasm community is really cool. It's, it's a great thing to look up on Google and hit image and look at all of the critters that are you know, perfectly adapted to, to live in this floating seaweed 
um, but you know, when we were at Florida, Florida uh, Shore and Beach meeting, I interviewed a scientist who works on this issue. You did uh, for Coastal International, I think was the name of the company, uh, Mariah, and she was great. I mean, she explains what was happening. They in the last ten years, the explosion of sargasm in the Caribbean has occurred, and it is a nutrient driven problem and so here's the question where are the nutrients coming from and there's a couple of you know uh suspects in the situation okay so we've got a uh, classic whodunit it's a whodunit kind of thing and part of it is the fact that these this shoreline is getting millions there were eight they estimate eight hundred thousand visitors on the Maya riviera over the holiday the thanksgiving holiday almost a million people right it's a lot of people. That's a lot of people and a lot of stuff. And yeah. and the resorts in Mexico, I think, and the one we were at touted this, that they, they, they operate their own wastewater treatment system as part of the development. It's not built into a municipal system, at least the place we were at, which was rather large, you know, thousand room kind of expansive multi-acre place. Uh, so you wonder about the quality um, I mean, I'm just trying to do a back of the envelope yeah. uh, calculation, and it's it's, a it's lot. sizable. It's a lot of stuff. It could be that, but there's also a, a, a real argument being made that it's coming out of the Amazon River. Because of the land mm. management practices in the Amazon right now, the burning of the and clearing of the land and has resulted in a lot of uh, organic material washing into the river systems in the Amazon. And of course, it's the biggest river system in the world and dumping these nutrients into the Caribbean Sea that are then cycled with the currents into the Caribbean Sea where it's causing this explosion of, of sargasm. Um, and then the third suspect is really uh, Africa. Dust coming off the African continent, specific kinds of minerals and nutrients that are airborne that reach the Caribbean Sea, but nothing really would cause a great increase in that in the last 10 years. But I, so I think to me, it has to do with the amount of usage and, and human presence on this shoreline and likely the land practices in the Amazon, I think is sort of what's, what I think is the most credible explanation that the scientists are throwing around that I've heard. I mean, other people might might know more but so when you uh, obviously there are these resorts and the government and you know they're collectively this is a big problem we've ran stories on it yeah on uh cnt and you've also did the interview at florida shore and beach yeah but what are you seeing i mean you when you were there it wasn't like a full-born event but you are still seeing what you're saying is that you're still seeing the residual impacts the residual in the the form of like degraded and decomposing material that is yeah nearly microscopic yeah i think floating in the water yeah and it's in the sand too so when the it's getting turned over and churned and i I, I really it's very present and so when you're like walking on the beach you can see or feel uh, yeah the the stuff yeah yeah and you can especially you know depending on the wind there is a there is a decomposition it's a highly organic kind of problem so there's a lot of decomposition and it's not particularly the most uh you know best smelling kind of stuff so uh, we took the, the boat. The reason we took the boat, too, was to look at the shoreline, but also because we wanted to go on the on some of the reefs near shore. And we, we asked this guy, where do you where, what are the best reefs? He said, I'll take for sure. I'll take you to the best reefs. And it was about four miles. And so uh, away. And I got to say, the condition of the reef was 
I'd give it a C. I mean, it, it was a substan- tough grade. It was degraded substantially. There's a lot of coral breaching, a lot of dead coral. And again, this reef was not adjacent to a developed part of the shoreline. We went south far enough to get past the development zone, uh, but it's near shore. So it's clearly in the zone of discharge of a lot of stuff that's probably in the water. Uh, it could be temperature. I'm not 100% sure. It's not like there was no living coral. There were patches for sure and the uh and the and the reef fish were you know if you get quiet enough and you're and you take your time and like on any kind of reef diving you really just have to be quiet to see things and and not flailing around a lot but yeah so so there was there was there was a lot of interesting sea life uh there were really big uh uh stingrays that met us when we got there and the guy who captained the boat jumps in and starts feeding them. So they clearly know the dinner bell has arrived <laughs> when you show up for the tourists. So there's, there's, you know, there'll be six or seven of them and they'll come up and kind of nudge you and, Hey, how about a little something? <laughs> what and, you got, buddy? What do you got? So there's that. And, you know, uh, but I, I was not happy with the condition of the reef. And I know that there are others in this area that are really great. And if you get, offshore you get out to Cozumel the island off of the Yucatan or in the reef systems that are further offshore I think the quality is great if you're scuba diving where you can get deeper these near shore reefs we were snorkeling so we weren't we weren't diving and they're they're vulnerable yeah and uh so I, I got a chance to check that out and I was really glad to do it too uh the water conditions that it was a, it was a pretty windy day so there were other reefs we were planning to get to but it was a little too a little too bouncy for that little right. boat, that little boat we were in to to jet around as much as we wanted right so you did get to go out and do some exploring and the other thing that you got to do when you were out on this boat is see the shoreline from uh, the ocean in. and what were was it is this a shoreline appear to be erosive what's the condition yeah i mean up at you know where we were in playa del carmen we were at a place called sandos uh, caracol which is an eco resort they say that's right and i have to say that uh when i first looked at the site map before we genevieve picked this place out my wife who uh really wanted to get to it i thought it was i would just say i probably would not have been my pick however i was glad to go because i've never been it was, it was one of these all-inclusive deals they had a spa she wanted to, you know they had a spa there too so relationships are oftentimes about compromise it's a compromise so um but it, it was interesting to see and 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 it covered i don't know how many acres tens of acres the size of this developed area yeah there were accommodations scattered throughout uh, and when you were on the site walking past through the jungle and literally they did not clear the land so there was a lot of standing water there's lots of mangroves there's lots of there's monkeys in the trees there's animals it smells like a forest there's i mean they did not there's no grass in other words there's no artificial landscaping along the pathway they'll have you know things but but in the land that the that the development was was integrated into and i think integrated is the right word i was impressed at how much the quality of the of the of the habitat that they preserved i was like wow pretty well done it is it isn't i think this is a point worth uh exploring because it's clearly uh the draw is are the beautiful beaches and this 
neck of the woods. Yeah. And they just, I mean, one could see in the 1970s, 80s, or 90s, the way that you would exploit a beautiful beach like that for tourism would be to put mm-hmm. a tower yeah. uh, r- right up against the shoreline. Yeah. Pack a bunch of people into that singular tower, right? And call it a call it a day. I think that's the Cancun style. If you went well, if you go up to Cancun, I think that's you do see that. But this is a this is a new this evolution. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, it's branded as an eco resort. Yeah, and what you're describing is making a clear design choice, a deliberate yeah. design choice to at least in the architecture and in the user experience of what you as a guest got to experience was something that, Hey, this is actually more legit of a, of a jungle visit than going and sitting in a air conditioned hotel room with a balcony. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I give him credit. I do. And this is one of the reasons I was glad that she picked this place ultimately because I, you know, all inclusive is the, the, I I like bohemian place. I like little, Cod, you know, some little thatched roof thing with no, I, you know, a bo- give me a good bar, a decent place to get something to eat, a place I can sleep, and no fanfare. I mean, that's how I like to go to to beaches. But this was the was different, and that you couldn't get a straw at the bar. You know, this is one of those things you could walk up to the bar. There's places to eat. You don't take out your checkbook. It's sort of all built in. Uh, but there's. It was incredibly well-staffed. It was incredibly well-cared for. There were lots of people walking around who were knowledgeable biologists, and you could set up walking tours or biking tours with people who actually could tell you about the cenotes. And we actually went snorkeling through this jungle cenote river, and it was there was nothing unnatural about it. I mean, you had to sort of duck under fallen logs and and it was full of, you know, fish and it was, you know, it was was not sort of tricked out as a resort. I mean, and they had a guy explaining what the water system was, where the water was coming from, how it was moving underground, where it was how where it entered the sea. This was informative. It was actually legitimately informative. Right. And lots of uh, educational signage about the wildlife and about what's going on and what every tree identification guides and all kinds of crap like that. So again, uh, if you're looking for a way to sort of dip your toe into Mexico and into this environment and you had a couple of kids, I could see what a cool place to bring your kids. Yeah. I mean, or if it's a last minute trip or you're just hey let's jet off with my girlfriend or something for a quick weekend this is a you just grab your passport and go yeah it takes a lot of the planning and right uh you know having to figure out your own itinerary out of the question because you basically wake up in the morning you can do whatever you want yeah now uh one of the things that you described earlier that I found very interesting was the makeup of the yeah. of of the fellow guests. It was good. I was glad to see it. I mean, it was not Americans were a clear minority of the folks at this place that we were at. I think uh, it looked to me like folks from Mexico were the prominent uh, predominant uh, visitors and users of this uh, resort on this weekend and then a big smattering of people from around the world uh, Canadian Swedish European uh, a bunch of people from Japan there were I mean it, it, so it was international for sure uh, the reputation of the shoreline is that good that people fly and come to these places now can I ask a question yeah 
if I were to go to a place like this, yeah, and I was, uh, you know, obviously after spending some time on the beach, kind of getting to know the lay of the land, I might make friends with, uh, or be sitting at the bar and having a conversation with another guest. Yeah, would did you have an oppor- the opportunity to kind of, I don't know, uh, uh, talk about with other guests what their impressions of the shoreline and the region and all that were? Were, hmm. there, were people giving it as much thought, say, as you were? Uh, probably not. No. And that's the problem with working as we do in coastal, as in the coastal you're just professional. All alone, man. You're well, just all you alone. just you're there, and you end up evaluating what I'm what I'm looking at is what is the access ways? What is the how are they managing the land? What are they doing with, you know? And you're looking. I'm looking at it from a coastal professional standpoint a lot, and and it kind of bums me out because it's not terribly relaxing. <laughs> what I had to do is just chill out and have a drink, but I'm sort of walking around going, "Huh, I wonder what the land use decision was on this. Why is this designed this way?" what are they doing here right that kind of thing and and i was also reading about what the what the government regulatory structure was on this shoreline and how was construction managed and learn some things about the state of quintana roo which is the state in mexico where this is all occurring and the efforts by the local government and the state government there to to try to rein in some of the development practices and protect the mangroves. So they have a pretty aggressive enforcement program and have, and have ordered the destruction of some construction that was done illegally or improperly. Um, and there's a big fight over public access to the shoreline. Yeah, these are, I, th- I would say, so, you know, we, we already talked about the sargasm right. impact, which, I mean, over this past summer was a huge big deal uh, m- m- trend in the news yeah but uh we've also been following some stories on public access and i guess mangroves as well those are separate issues but wh- where do you want to begin public well, ac- yeah access? i want to talk about the access thing they it looks like in 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 reading uh doing some research on the shoreline area that they have a an access law a little bit like I would say is in the panhandle of Florida. You have the right to be on the wet beach, essentially. The public can move up and down the shoreline. Uh, the problem is the access to the shoreline, these hotels, these big all-inclusive development, which is the style of development along the shoreline, um, occupy all of the waterfront. I didn't see any separate access way. Like, in order to get to the beach in this place, you had to enter a gate with a guard and it's you know probably a quarter mile the gate is inland quite a ways you ain't walking up the you're beach not walking up, you're to, not to no be in front of this place no and i don't know how you get there but once you're there apparently you have the right and the the, the state has been working to try to expand public access to this shoreline and i think it's like in america it's a big fight all the time between the hotel developers and the tourist guys and the general public um, as far as the style of shoreline, this there wasn't a big tower along the beach here. This everything was pushed back, uh, so it was it vegetated, and there was a can't just pool kind of near the beach. But you know, basically, they didn't put a lot of development right on the water. Right. Um, but when I went down the beach in the boat, there were huge structures right on the water with no you know no buffer between uh, the beach and the structure. Um, no vegetated forest fringe or anything like that so there are massive developments all along uh, this Mayan Riviera shoreline and it's 
it's and there's also areas where there's no sandy beach at all. There's it's a pretty high wave energy environment toward the south as you get as you head toward Tulum, uh, and there are significant revetments and and uh, riprap structures that are protecting the development there's no beach there's probably no possibility of putting enough sand on that shoreline given the wave climate i think it would be really really tough so it's an interesting shoreline it's um you know there's a ton of my this is the, one of the great appeals is the mayan ruins and there right. are there are mayan ruins visible uh from the boat you know like structures that are still there it's really a cool area i have to say well i think you know goodness it's got to be a cool area um we've it's certainly a famous beach everyone's heard of cancun right everyone's heard of these beaches on the yucatan uh uh, Tulum is booming. Mm-hmm. Um, Tulum is booming, and it, it's considered the next hot spot. And uh, it's you know it's clear that the development is eventually going. It's about eighty miles of shoreline here from Cancun to Tulum. I think it's about eighty. Uh, I'm certain that that's all going to be constructed sooner or later. Right. Yeah. And it's it 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 brings. Uh, I'm I'm interested in the trends. Uh, the this eco resort is an interesting. Uh, because it because of the brand uh, placement as being green, right? It changes the way changes. It should have an impact on the actual footprint of the. I think it did the space. Yeah, I, I think it, I, it really. I think they did legitimate. If you're going to put, and I think that I think the entire room total at uh, Sandos Caracol where we were. It was about a thousand, but they're distributed in, in little four plexi apartmenty kind of things that are just distributed. There's not sort of one building. Uh, there are scattered throughout and little and, cabins or something. Yeah, little. there's there's a variety of little apartment styles. You know, as you get closer to the beach, if if you want to be right next to a pool, we were sort of in the back, which I like. We were off the beaten track. It was not a lot of. There was no, there was no uh, bar nearby. There was no, you know, entertainment complex. We were sort of tucked back, and it was cool. I liked it. We were off the. I didn't like to be in the loud part, but but uh, if you're going to put that much density in in a development, I, I got to say I give them a, a pretty good grade on whoever did the landscape design here and preserved uh, so much of the natural setting. Uh, it's it's really just thickets of mangroves and tropical trees and lots of critters running around and monkeys moving through the trees over your head that kind of thing which is kind of cool and I and uh, yeah so I, I I think they did a good job totally yeah. and it, it will be interesting to see as uh, you know we here's a here's a bigger trend that we're having this year first first full year of cnt yeah we're not doing our year in review yet folks uh that is coming up but one of the trends that we've definitely seen this year is the notion of over tourism yeah and clearly in this area um the reason why the market i'm not an economist but i would i would uh think that the reason why uh the ecotourism exists the reason why there's a market for this is because Tourists want to be able to enjoy the a, a shoreline, a pristine shoreline like the one there in Cancun, and not feel guilty about 
yeah. defacing it or being part of some, yeah. uh, m- you know, negative cycle of yeah. bringing in the people and then destroying it. We, we ran the story about the beach beach, uh, which similar yeah. situation, it's millions of tourists coming in, descending on a single shoreline in that case, a very specific beach. Right. But they don't have the sewage treatment facilities they don't have the uh, the the infrastructure necessary right. to accommodate that many people right and here's the other thing peter that that we talked about earlier is that you're talking about this is the country of mexico this is a yep. poor country and relatively speaking well yeah I the mean, people the 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 uh part of the problem i think is that uh, people who have lived there, families, d- d- descendants of folks who have lived and been from that part of the world for a very long time, uh, need money. And yeah. if bringing in tourists, which is a great way to get money from out of town to spend money in your place yeah. is the way you're going to do it. It's easy to overlook, I think, the... Uh, exploitation to the natural resource that is there to begin with. And I think that's why the, the, uh, the sargasm thing is so interesting because it really gets at this. That's a risk. See, if they, if they, because the attraction itself is the environmental quality, it's little, this, these near shore water quality issues, like, like uh, the harmful algal bloom problem, red tide, blue green algae problem in Florida, have significant impact on this economic model of tourism and the and i do think that the boy it's it's just you just know that this shoreline is going to it's, we talk about this a lot tyler in all kinds of places about the transformation of the shoreline through its economic life uh from what used to be on the shoreline 30 years ago small independently owned boutique little hotel little restaurant kind of thing that is no longer what's happening here but it's not different when we when we did the interview up at uh, at, at the atlantic intercoastal waterway association about seven mile island with the corps of engineers and the scientists remember that we're doing the beneficial use near shore placement kind of thing i was looking at we i was looking at it on google earth and these barrier islands there in new jersey are 100 percent occupied every square inch of it some of these islands has been turned into residential there isn't anything left of the island. Uh, we see it in Mexico. I mean, we see it in Florida. You see it on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, communities pushing forward with development for the same motivations as these folks in Mexico are. Right. And there is something about, you know, going down to these areas that look so different and fabulous and going, gee, was I sure wish you wouldn't do that because it sure looks cool as a jungle. Uh, that is... It, it, that attitude is unfair to the the owners of that property and the people who have the same financial interests of the, as American. Well, especially do. if it's applied to one yeah. situation and not the other. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that because yeah. of the uh, relative uh, per capita wealth, yeah, between uh, say the average South Carolinian or North Carolinian or New Jersey shore person and the average uh, Mexican citizen living in the Tulum region. I mean, it's, yeah, it, we're talking about, there's a lot of indigenous communities still there. These are different worlds. They are, they're economically and it. It's true. There's an economic difference there. Uh, 
the 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 cost of these places and how much they you know it's they're drawing a crowd of people from around the world that spend money to be there uh, these are not low rent kind of places to go to uh, so there's clearly an economic usage a lot of uh, jobs a lot of jobs a lot of good jobs i was very interested i really wanted to know what the what the salary structure was right uh they had i gotta say the place was immaculately cared for it it was super well staffed everyone was incredibly polite it was and sharp pop. it was it like was, sharp it and was crisp very well done i mean you know all of the nature kind of people got the pith helmet thing it's like jurassic park a little bit you know without the dinos that's right without the dinos it's 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 a little disneylandish without the rides i mean i gotta say but 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 well staffed and i i wondered what they made i was curious like hmm, wonder what the salary structure is here because uh, you hope they're paying them pretty decently you hope so uh now we I got one other thing in our kind yeah. of trend things that are trending the news that uh, relate to this particular stretch of shoreline down in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. Yeah. I, because I mean, was when I was talking to this guy who, who runs uh, tourism trips on the shoreline. I was this is the boat guy. This is the boat guy. He set this thing up. He was telling me about the ownership of the property. He said, "Look." When my father and I started working down here, he had been working there for, I think he said, 13 years, and his father had worked there along the shoreline uh, for more than two decades. And he said, you know, it's obviously changed a great deal. It's so much more densely done. And he said the biggest thing is the ownership of the property along the shoreline is no longer Mexican. He said primarily it's international hotel developments in Spain. The Spanish developers are really big there. There's American developers. There are about 10,000 uh, Americans living in Plau del Carmen, according to the stuff that I've read. There's a big expat community. Uh, so for the folks who are there working in the service industry, uh, you know, one of the concerns I have is that this shoreline is an inter- that's, you know, and I think this is also true kind of on a lot of shorelines. Uh, it's not locally owned. So not all of the money stays in the local community. The wages do. But yeah, the, the profits of the business are yeah are going and owning the the land ownership's important now peter i've got one other yeah i've yeah, got yeah. this mangrove trend what's going on with the mangroves down there well th- there was a really interesting story i ran this week in coastal news today because i started you know picking up some stories about the yucatan peninsula shoreline and putting those in coastal news today this week and uh, there's a big battle to try to preserve these near shore uh, th- these mangroves that are along the shoreline and uh, like most places uh, there are some nefarious developers who you know get the permit and get out there with their bulldozers and go well beyond what they were permitted to do so the, what I was pleased to see in looking at the sort of in the uh, the record as it was reported in the news say over the last six months picking up stories and searching for stories about the condition of the mangroves down there is there's a pretty aggressive effort to try to police this now how successful that enforcement strategy is is a kind of, it doesn't look to me that it's necessarily going that well uh, and it's typical of the government agency the the guys who work in the in the bureaucracy who, whose job it is to get out there and enforce these permit rules uh, it's them versus multinational corporations with a boatload of money and uh, they have a hard time and, I can uh, imagine they do but uh, but it's but, it, but but they're present I mean what I like about it is it seems like the policies are in place the rules in place there is an enforcement effort you know great 
I, you know, we see this in American development shoreline too, where, where conditions are, things aren't done correctly and the environment gets hammered. And that's not a Mexican issue. That's an, that's a shoreline issue all around the world. It is, but it's good to see that there is actually an enforcement yeah. effort underway, period. Yeah. Yeah, because no. when I was in Ukraine, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there exists no enforcement <laughs> mechanism along that shoreline at all. I mean, it is a, it is simply uh, do as you wish. Uh, open, open season. It's open season. Yeah. Um, well, Peter, it sounds like a great trip. Do you have any uh, final thoughts on it? Well, I, you know, I... I am ambivalent about the trip. I, I don't know that I would go back. Uh, I would like to, if, if I went back to that shoreline, I'd like to find a way to uh, to to be at a place where the where the revenues may be going to a, an independent owner, uh, the local community, something a little smaller, uh, a little bit less. Uh, you know, a little bit more off the beaten track, but you know, hey, we all want that. This is why tourism keeps going and why shorelines continue to get developed because people are like me too. They want to go to some place that not everybody's going to. A little bit more natural. We want to go to the new place. We want to. Get, we don't want. So we demand that these places be made available to us, and lo and behold, the market responds and the shoreline changes. So I'm ambivalent. I, I, I was confronted a little bit with. Uh, the impact of tourism along the shoreline and the impact of over tourism. I think there's a substantial risk of of uh, over tourism on the shoreline. No doubt about it. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to take a minute here on ASP to to go over the trip. Definitely an interesting stretch of shoreline. We're definitely, I think, going to have our eyes open for news stories coming down the line uh, that deal with this area. And I know so many of, of you, our listeners, have probably been down there yeah. and uh, have have maybe a, a special beach or something you'd be interested in following it along too. So we will. And I should also plug at this time, very convenient because we're going to start talking about some of our shows on ASPN here, right. ladies and gentlemen. But uh, we have a show, a new podcast that will be coming out soon with uh, Erica Sears. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I believe we're going to be calling this show Big Tourism, um, the Big Tourism podcast. But this show will be all about what we're talking about here yeah. with with regard to destination management and how tourism entities try to use you know it's evolved the the notion of promotion hey that's a good one the notion of promotion has changed the notion of promotion has changed yeah i think that's true and we had erica on as a guest that's uh, right she she's from oregon and is works on the coastal tourism a program for the state of Oregon and uh, how they draw tourists, what kind of tourists they want on the shoreline and the integration of tourism into local communities while preserving the character of tourism. Tourism is the one of the biggest businesses on the on the American shoreline and on shorelines all around the world. So I'm so glad that you guys have put this together, Tyler, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Erica. I think she is going to be talking about the economic advantages of tourism, how it can be done right, how do you preserve the character of these shorelines and towns, and how do we not love these areas to death, which is what we tend to do. And it's a big trade-off. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be great. Erica is uh, a super good, funny, energetic 
uh, talented host, and uh, she's going to have a great show. We've got some other cool shows coming out uh, that will yeah. be coming down the line soon. I think I'll I'll spare going into all those details, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a, a good year, and we look forward in 2020 to be bringing you some new uh, ASPN content. But we're not quite there yet. We're no. still in 2019. We're still okay. making great 2019 content. <laughs> and so we wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of these shows. Now, Peter, you highlighted uh, Jenna Valente's Sea Change podcast that came out uh, last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate Fritz was on the show. Yeah. Executive Director of the uh, Chesapeake Bay Alliance. And, uh, you know, Jenna's shows... Are- I love them. I, I, you know, I, I, I never am quite sure why I'm going to like a show of hers. I like them for different reasons. Uh, it was a great conversation between her and Kate about the Chesapeake Bay and the focus so much of her show is on conservation practice and the profession and how you get into it and what makes it important and what inspires you to do this kind of work, that kind of, uh, but I thought her conversation with Kate about leadership and what it took to, to be a great conservation leader was one of the best conversations I've heard on leadership. And it was just, it's universally applicable. And totally. It was great. I really, I, I really liked the show and the seriousness of the people who, you know, dedicate their lives to trying to, you know, keep the coastal environment in shape. This whole advocacy show that she does is really an important part of the conversation on the American Shoreline. I just love that show. I do too. And it's cool to get uh, the perspective of these badass young women who are yeah. taking the reins truly of, you know, Jenna has profiled several people uh, over this past year. She did over 20 shows in her first year wow. on ASPN. Did she really? Did she, she did. hit 20? Wow, that's, she hit, that's awesome. I think she's on, might on be on 22 or 23. That's great. Uh, many of them uh, do the same kind of format, uh, but uh, with this Kate show and with others, she has, uh, she talks about what people's kind of initial inspiration for getting into coastal Mm -hmm. and marine conservation is. And by the way, I would just pause and say for many of you who might be coastal engineers or coastal policy people or coastal, or, you know, maybe you're, you work for a company that manufactures some sort of marine technology. You might not consider yourself a conservationist or a, you know, working in conservation in the in the same way that say you would if you work for the Chesapeake Bay Alliance or the Littoral Society and things like that but uh, I do think that deep down and we've talked about this before Peter that Mm -hmm. there is a spark of why we give a shit about this space you know yeah Uh, there's a there is a a deeper purpose a deeper draw to wanting to do it right and to care about the space that I think is important uh, probably in all of us who work within the space uh, and certainly uh, certainly just in, in all of us that take interest in in marine biology and ocean science and I mean there's a reason why we are captivated and, and want to learn more and yeah. Jenna's just doing a great job of exploring that inspiration and then I think this is important how people can break in and actually get jobs and find a meaningful find a way to make a meaningful contribution that works for them um, Jenna is exploring that and I thought that this show just did a great job of, it's, yeah. of 
of laying that all out. 100%. I agree with that. And, and uh, for young professionals, especially, I think it's a, it's a great podcast for all the reasons that you just outlined. And, uh, and for the engineers out there and the scientists and the people who, as you said, maybe are in waterway management or that you work at a port or something. One of the things we've learned in talking to people from all these professional lines over the, over the first year and a half here, almost a year and a half, I guess, but is there's an, everyone's a bit of an environmentalist and they'll tell you that the engineers, Michael Poff, you know, look, he loves the beach and loves the shoreline and fell in love with it as a kid and became a coastal engineer. And Jenna's show bridges this gap. And that's why I love the show. And I think for engineers and, and technical people or waterway folks, listen to sea change because you get an insight into that other part of all of all of our minds about the coast. I mean, you get, you get an immersion into this universe of advocacy. And I think it's really important to understand what drives these people who spend all their time trying to make this stuff better. Uh, and so I, I'm a big fan of it. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of her show. Very good. Well, yeah. it's a great show uh, by Jenna Valente. Sea Change with Kate Fritz. Check it out. And uh, coming out on Friday of last week, we had the, our good friend Dan Martin back with another episode of the Next Gen Waterfronts with Paul Labovitz, who is the superintendent of America's newest national park, yeah. the Baby, the Baby Park. Yeah. Even though it has been around for some time, this as a as a park feature, as a conservation feature. Uh, the Indiana Dunes National Park, our newest national park. And Peter, what were your impressions of this show? Well, you, you know, first of all, it, this national park came into existence. I think uh, President Trump signed the legislation in February 2019, ladies and gentlemen, for the latest. Not even one year old. Not even a year old. This is the latest, the, the newest national park in America to get the superintendent on the show. Uh, Dan Martin, way to go. I mean, Dan's. Dan's interest is in recreational economics and land use planning and development, and he works professionally in that realm on how to establish recreational uh, assets on the shoreline in ways that are economically sound and good for the environment and all that kind of stuff. He's, it's, I love his show, too. But to get the, the superintendent of the newest national park in America on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, I'm happy. I thought it was a really cool conversation about this Indiana Dunes National Park, and you should learn about it and go see it. It's a real. First of all, I don't. I was unaware of this. Uh, what the southern shoreline of Lake Michigan was like. Uh, the American shoreline uh, certainly. It, it, involves and includes uh, the Great Lake shoreline. No question about that. 100%. Very interesting shoreline. But this this section, if you can imagine Chicago right there on the western side there of the southern uh, mm -hmm. dip that is uh, Lake Michigan, uh, and then you can imagine that there's the Indiana border, and then you go around the dip and you start coming back up, and then there's the Michigan border. Yep. The Indiana Dunes Park is right in the middle. And apparently this the southern part there was there's just a ton of dunes and going back, you know, a hundred years, there was uh, as the Chicago industrial complex kind of expanded out and more and more factories were being built on the Lake Michigan shoreline. There was an effort to save the dunes. It was actually a save the dune campaign on 
in Indiana, of all places, ladies in, in and gentlemen. The, in the early 1900s, In right? the early 1900s. In fact, Stephen Mather, uh, we learn in the podcast that Stephen Mather, uh, the first director of the National Park Service, the first Correct. administrator of the National Park Service. 1917, appointed in 1917. Appointed in 1917. Stephen Mather was a big, was a champion of this space turning into a... Uh, protected space and it was ultimately protected first by the state of indiana and then it became a national lakeshore uh and finally uh just this past year it was upgraded i suppose you'd say to a full-fledged national park yeah um so and and it's a coastal national park which is very cool so yeah great job dan having the superintendent the big daddy on the program and i highly recommend this show learn about this park uh it's also just you know this is because it's coastal uh as many of the national parks are there is a uh, concerted effort to think about planning for sea level rise um and the superintendent talks about uh, how he is approaching that and how, say, other superintendents of other parks are looking at their various yeah. missions. So it, it's I think for all of you uh, planners and ra- and uh, p- people who are interested in land use and um, park space recreation, this is a, a super interesting show that I uh really recommend you should go back and listen to it yeah find out and yeah take a look at dan's of course everybody you know you can you subscribe to the american shoreline podcast network and that gets you all of the hosted shows on the network jenna's show tyler and i's show uh derek brockbank show at capitol beach and howard marlowe and dan janolfi their show uh the waterlog podcast all of our hosts are under aspn uh, send it to your friends tell them to subscribe to coastal news today and the american shoreline podcast network spotify google and all the places where our podcast is but uh yeah, I think the, the Great Lakes region is not overlooked on Coastal News Today. And uh, Dan Martin was part of the reason he said very early on when we were talking to him as coming on as a host is he's from Chicago. Uh, and we've been covering it. It's been a hell of a year in the Great Lakes. The springtime floods that that drowned croplands in all across the Midwest from Iowa to Wisconsin. That water uh, found its way in a lot of it into the Great Lakes. We've had historically high water levels for an extended period of time in the Great Lakes. Serious shoreline erosion problems all around the Great Lakes system. And, uh, you know, for us folks who are more... uh, you know, familiar salty. with the salt, <laughs> yeah, that are the of the salty shoreline. Uh, the issues on the Great Lakes are not uh, fundamentally different. Uh, it's uh, than the shorelines, uh, the salty shoreline issues uh, in terms of you shoreline know, protection and development. It, and it isn't, but it is. It's interesting how because you know the uh, because they're lakes and they're the uh, the way that the wind plays a factor in pushing water around and the various, yeah. uh, volumes and how the water flows actually, you know, these lakes flow from one to another. Yeah, I mean, the hydrology ma- of them is they're really highly managed, uh, yeah. by the Corps of Engineers they and are. the International Compact with Canada. And, you know, people get a little upset when the water levels, uh, are not what they want, uh, either too high or too low, but lately it's been too high. So people are losing land. Uh, docks are 
being destroyed. I mean, there's a it's a huge issue in the Great Lakes, and there's a ton of you can you know on Coastal News today, you go to you find a story from the Great Lakes, click on the Great Lakes tag, any of the tags that are on the story, the the location tags, and you'll get all of the stories about the Great Lakes that have been on Coastal News today this year in one click. That's right. You, you can know, do that. We got yeah. <laughs> you can do that. You can do you that. You can sort by region on Coastal News today. You can sort by region, and if you want to listen to Dan Martin's show, you click Dan Martin's name up in the podcast uh, American Shoreline podcast, and you'll get all of Dan's shows or all of Jenna's shows. And uh, so you can That's right. You can sort by uh, host by, by host by show host. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd throw that out. It is. It's good. Uh, little uh, life hack. If you're oh man, I got to scroll through. All, you know, you can just quit if you want. If you're interested in Jenna's shows and you want to listen to three in a row, mm-hmm. you can just go there and do that. Or what I would suggest you do is go onto your iPhone or your smartphone, go and open your, if it's an iPhone, you can op- open Apple Podcasts. If mm-hmm. it's a Google phone, you can open Google Podcasts. Type in the American Shoreline Podcast Network yeah. and subscribe to it. Yeah. It's just that simple. And if you are listening to this and you've already done that, go tell a friend to do that. Right. And tell us to rate and review. We love rate ratings and reviews we uh, do. on our page. Uh, and we greatly appreciate all of them. Well, Peter, uh, I think this is going to uh, wrap up our show here today. Uh, do you have any concluders that you want to well, you know, it off with? We're coming to the end of the year, and Tyler, I, I wanted to just say how much I appreciated working with you all year long. I mean, we busted our butt this year to get this thing off the ground. And as you said, this will be our first complete calendar year as Coastal News Today in the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And uh, we are over 200 shows on the network. We've put out, I don't even know, tens of thousands of curated news stories this year. Have we? Oh, yeah. Easily. Thousands for sure. Oh, probably, uh, certainly over 10,000. Really? It, I think it, so. It's been, a, it's been a really productive year. I want to thank you for all the stuff that you've done this year. It's been really great working with you on this thing. Well, thanks, Peter. And likewise to you. And uh, likewise to all of you, our listeners. Uh, couldn't, have, couldn't have done this without an audience. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, we would just be playing with ourselves i guess <laughs> this just wouldn't be as fun <laughs> something so, like that <laughs> so uh we want to uh thank yeah. you as well uh and we will be back of course next week with another episode of the american shoreline podcast then after that we're gonna take our winter uh hours a little bit and be running some best of 2019 shows so yeah. these are all things you can look forward to next week we'll have more information on all of that right so until then ladies and gentlemen have yourself a great week and we will see you again soon Sad to 